Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another Swish Waterlad podcast episode. Or if this is your first time, well then welcome to the show. Hopefully you enjoy this episode because there is well over a hundred other lads who have been on before and told their journey that you can go back and listen to. And there's some good stuff in amongst that. But firstly, with Mother's Day not far away, I'm often last minute with presents, chocolate or flowers, something something just to make do. But I've got a great idea for you here. How about a swish from one of her favourite sports stars? It is the perfect gift for any sports-loving mum and one that she'll never forget. There's heaps of stars on there from rugby, netball, Olympians. And with prices ranging from $300 to just $20, it is very affordable. And the best part of it all is that up to 70% of the proceeds go to Kiwi Kids Charities. So you can feel good about that. To order, head over to hayswish.com and use the code MUM10, no spaces, for an extra 10% off. I'll leave a link in the bio to make it easy. And while we're on Mother's Day, here's another great idea for your mum. Pure Sports CBD. Now if your mum suffers from any joint or muscle pain, or even she just struggles with her sleep, well then do the right thing and go get her some Pure Sports CBD oil. By doing this, you could very well change her quality of life. It is the most tested and trusted CBD oil in the world. And just for being a Waterlad listener, you can get 20% off your order by using the code WATERLAD20. I'll leave a link in the description for easy access to that code. And lastly, before we get into it, the great Tim Bateman has an exciting opportunity, which I highly recommend for anyone who this interests. Cheers, Jimmy. Are you looking for an exciting career for life after rugby? My name's Tim Bateman, and I've been a professional rugby player for the last 17 years. My plan for life after rugby was to get into the well-being and recovery industry, so I built O Studio, New Zealand's largest well-being and recovery centre. O-Studio has given me a career option where I can take advantage of the skills I've built through rugby. It works for my family, it lets me own my own time, and it's given me the financial freedom I need to do what I want with my life. Despite the challenges of COVID, we've seen consistent growth in our business and we've decided to expand O-Studio throughout New Zealand and abroad. It's an exciting time for the wellbeing industry and we're looking for top lads to be a part of it by opening your own O-Studio. If you're interested, head to ostudio.co.nz slash lad to inquire. Back to the show. What a lad, and boy have I got a treat for you with this one. Today's guest has had what seems like one of the longest careers ever. He started way back in 2003 with the Wellington Lions before a call-up with the Hurricanes came not long after that. He then moved up to North Harbour in the Blues for a season before heading over to the UK where he's widely regarded as one of the greatest Kiwi imports ever. This is where we saw him dominate for teams including the Newcastle Falcons, Leinster and of course the Wasps and he's won all sorts of accolades along the way. But that doesn't count for much unless you are a lad, and he is one of the greatest lads around. It is the great Jimmy Gobberth. Welcome, mate. Mate, what an intro. Uh, <laughs> yeah, happy to be on, mate. Seen a lot of these podcasts. They're good fun, so happy to uh, be along. Mate, what a career. Unbelievable scenes. I remember watching you as a young fella. I was a big Hurricanes fan watching you on the telly, and to see that you're still going and still going so strong, incredible achievement. Yeah, I've been uh, been fortunate uh, to to still be able to play this game, especially uh, playing in 
what is probably the hardest league in the world. Um, it's yeah. relentless, the premiership. Um, so, yeah, to, to still be playing um, at tender age of 20, it's uh, going all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, mate, like you say, like the competition over there is so hard. And a lot of guys say they sort of shorten their career when they go over there. But, mate, you've extended yours somehow, playing week in and week out, massive amounts of games. Um, unreal. Yeah, it's been, um, you know, obviously... And moving from from ten to playing a lot at twelve these days as well, which yeah, it does not do the body any good, mate. It's just <laughs> tackling, hitting rocks, chasing kicks. <laughs> so it's definitely going to take a few years off me. But uh, yeah, just fortunate to um, you know, I suppose my body's been pretty good for me uh, right throughout my career, and to be able to still play at the highest level is, um, you know, I just don't want to go to a day job, so I'm hanging in there until the wheels <laughs> fall off, though. Mate, that's it. Stay on it. Because you're coming up to 39, aren't you? So uh, I think only Ben May is the only one I've had on who's playing and is a little bit older than you. So that's unreal achievement. But you mentioned your body feeling pretty good. Have you have you got any niggles? Or are you still feeling like as fresh as you were when you were 24? Yeah, no, I've got no niggles at the moment. Um, I've only really had three sort of, well, one major injury. That's when I've done my uh, ACL back in, what, 2018? Yeah, uh, that was sort of my first ever proper beyond sort of three months, twelve weeks uh, injury, and um, that was a bit of an experience to go through. Uh, that sort of nine months of playing, and then managed to get back early and first game out there uh, playing Saracens, try and put a big hit in uh, first tackle, break my thumb, oh. uh, and and keep going, play the rest of the game because there's no way I was coming off, so it was like <laughs> broken and dislocated. So I'm running around the pitch trying to like put it back in after every tackle because you know you've been out for nine months man you do not want to come off because everyone would be like oh he's, he's bugging again yeah. and then uh that was lucky i was just about finished pre-season and then sort of get back in and first game back in pre-season against uh saracens again done my ac so i had three in a row but wow. other than that i've been pretty uh pretty good for my career is there any secret to having that and being so um durable um, I don't know, mate. It's probably my, my days of on the farm just drinking milk straight out of the cow's udder. Uh, <laughs> it must have had some goodness in there, you know. God knows what we're putting in our body off the farm. But, yeah, I think just having the, having a balanced life. Um, you know, surfing's been a big passion of mine, right, for as a young kid. So I think that's probably brought uh, real good stability to my joints, uh, especially mm. sort of my upper body uh, with paddling and stuff like that. So... Who knows? I think it's probably um, got to just do something with it because you see a lot of the young kids now and they just break all the time. Yeah. Uh, but I think we, we play a lot of rugby and especially up here, a lot of young kids don't play as much as we would back home because yeah. of the squad sizes and, and different sort of uh, competitions. So you know, durability helps by just playing loads and loads of rugby. Mate, surfing and milk straight from the teat. Love that. All the kids will be doing that. Days. <laughs> <laughs> and I read an article that you'd retired from Wasp not that long ago. I thought this was going to be the big announcement. Jimmy Goff is going to retire from rugby, but you haven't. Is it true that you've signed with Leicester or is this nothing yet? Uh, it's I have signed for another club, but it's yeah. not official. Oh. But I've signed, um, yeah, I've signed a, a one plus one deal. So if I go through the two, I'll be still playing... When I'm four, I'll finish when I'm 41. Wow. Um, which would be pretty cool. Yeah. 
So what what brought about the move? Like, obviously, you're a WAS legend. You've played plenty of games for WAS. Everyone loves you there. What brought about the move here? Um, look, it was obviously I was off contract uh, coming into the season, and, and obviously people knew. And then teams just started showing a bit of interest. And it's really weird over here at the moment because all the um, salary caps are dropping in, in size. Yeah. So they've been cut I don't know the exact figures, but it might have been like seven and a half million per team last season. Now it's down to like five and a half. Uh, so a lot of teams are trying to deal with, you know, trying to bring all their squad together with certain amounts of money. And yeah, I just I just went to us because I had an offer on the table, and I just went to them and told them uh, I had an offer on the table. And um, you know, the ball's in your court, but they weren't able to do anything when this other team wanted to move pretty quickly. So. Mm. Um, at 38 years old, I wasn't going to hang around. Um, <laughs> I had an opportunity, so I took it. Mate, how good is that? The offers are just rolling in at 38 years old. Mate, you're on fire. <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad, eh? Was it hard to leave that club, though? Wasps? Yeah, it will be. Obviously, I, I've played here for seven seasons now, seven years. Mm. You know, I, I've got I'm on 149 games, so I've got one more for the big 150, and, you know, Done a, done a shitload and been been in two finals with them and and done a you know seen the team progress pretty quickly throughout the years and been a part of that so of course it's always hard when you leave a club that you've put so much into um, but hopefully I've left it with a few good memories and as long as people sort of know I've I've contributed as much as I can while I'm here then you know I'll leave uh, with happy thoughts and memories. Mm. No doubt. And was there ever a thought of you coming back to New Zealand and giving it one more crack here? That question came in so much from many Taranaki fans, Coastal fans, Wellington Line fans, Hurricane fans. They all want to see you back here at some point. That ever crossed your mind? Uh, yeah, a little. Um, you know, my agents did, did ask me if I wanted to come home. And um, yeah, it wasn't my thoughts uh, to, to sort of come and, and try it back out and, and see how it goes. And yeah, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, this offer came in pretty quickly, so I didn't really have time to sort of look into to too much. And who knows, mate, I might come back as a 40-year-old and still try and try and mix it with the young kids. And, um, you know, I've been told by lots of the coastal lads back at home I have to save a couple games in the legs to, to roll on the green and white, mate, and down, down on the coast. And, you know, if I... It'd be cool, man, if I could come back and still be able to play, and then like even play for the Naki would be be unreal. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, when I finish up here, mate. That would be unreal to see you back here, forty-one years old. Maybe Ben, mate, at prop forty-two years old. You guys just locking it down for Taranaki. <laughs> That'd be unreal, mate. <laughs> we'd have to, might have to only train, but two days a week, but we'll be right, mate. They'll let you away with it, surely. Easy, but while we're at um, while we're on New Zealand, um, I know you are a proud Taranaki man, so pretty keen to hear what it was like for you growing up there. Yeah, awesome, mate. Uh, obviously, down this uh, the small little town of uh, Pihama, just outside of Opanaki, oh, yeah. um, right on the beach. Uh, so you know, dairy farm. So we just had the had the beach right there, the farm. So just always just outdoors, cruising around, uh, fishing, eeling, surfing. You know, you name it, we did it. And then obviously went up to New Plymouth Boys um, boarding school up there for five years. Created uh, some awesome memories up there. Had some great mates. You know, the rugby, went up there for the rugby really, just mm. to try and try and see how far I could go. And 
uh, managed to sort of kick on from there, uh, from the Naki, and you know had the opportunity to to, to go down to Wellington straight out of uh, out of school, which was you know obviously the stepping stone to my career. But yeah, the childhood just coming up, mate. It's it's one of those ones now. I look back and I'm with my kids. Yeah, it's something we'll probably look at because it is special, man. It's uh, it's such a special place to to grow up. So you mentioned you moved to New Plymouth Boys for rugby. When did you think that rugby was potentially a pathway for you? Um, I think all little all uh, Kiwis just have have that uh, dream, don't they, of becoming a professional rugby player, becoming an All Black. And mm. I think I was fortunate enough, like just during primary school, all my mate, like my best mates, were sort of a year older than me. So they all went off to high school. So and I was still at primary school, but I would go and play for their high school team, like Openaki right. High. I'd go and play for them, and um, I sort of got told I sort of had uh, I, was, I was not too bad at rugby. So you know the best next thing is my whole family uh, go to went to Francis Douglas, but then they weren't that great at rugby, and and New Plymouth boys were. So I thought that was the best next step to to try and uh, make something out of it. Could put myself mm. in a good school and and go from there. And they've got one of the best grounds. Ever in rugby, I reckon one of the coolest grounds to play at. What was it like playing at the galley, mate? It's unreal, eh? It's uh, you know you have twelve hundred boys watching you on one side doing the hucker, and yeah. you know all the other family friends and that on the other, and you just don't get that kind of atmosphere and um, you know anywhere really. And to have it in school uh, was a, such a privilege. And you know some of those those college matches you play and. Mate, like you, the boys are like crying and stuff before games. Like you just like they, they get so amped up and it means so much. And we used to um, like just before you run down the gully, there's a bell tower, and we used to all get up there and uh, huddle up and say, you know, who are we, boys high, and just rock it up and get louder and louder, and then sprint down the hill, and all the boarders would be lined up doing the haka. So you go through one haka. Then you do your haka. Then the school's doing a haka. It's just mental. It's uh, I try and tell people over here like what school rugby's like, and they just yeah. they don't understand it, mate. Like, it's special. Mate, that is such a pump up. Did you ever find it hard getting yourself up, not playing at the galley? Um, it was different. It was definitely different, um, especially some of the early days. Like we. Because some of the other schools around us weren't that great, um, and sort of so we played. Uh, we ended up playing senior thirds in, in the Taranaki oh, rugby yeah. comp, and like senior thirds, mate. It's you know it's like all the sort of ex uh, senior first guys, like all the guys like thirty five, thirty, just there for a drink, and no shit. The first first twenty minutes is the hardest game of rugby you'll ever play. They're just out there and kick the shit out of you because like you're little kids, like they just kick the shit out of you, and then. But after 30 minutes, they're so tired, you just run around them and just score all the tries. But uh, that was, um, it was always daunting, mate, like turning up to some grounds and, yeah. uh, and, and sort of seeing all these guys, massive old guys, and having a beer before they even, some of them even before they play. Like it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty daunting, but uh, no, it was some fun times, man. Mate, it's good times. And then you mentioned your move down to Wellington. Was there ever an opportunity for you to stay with Taranaki? Was that ever the goal? Um, yeah, it was. Obviously, growing up, I always wanted to play for the Naki. Went to watch them all the time. Um, in my last year of school, they did talk about trying to get me into the team that year. 
um, to play, but there was a bit of like, nah, he's too young um, sort of thing going on, So, um, which I was mad keen for, obviously, um, yeah. to play in the NPC and still at school. But yeah, they thought I was a bit too young, so I just stayed playing high school rugby. And yeah, and then obviously did pretty well at... Um, with the hurricane schools and New Zealand schools and, and Wellington came pretty quickly and, and said, you know, look, come join our academy. And when the Wellington team had, you know, the superstars they had, I thought, wow, yeah. it's, it's a great opportunity for me to go and learn from. And, you know, it worked out pretty well. For sure. And then what, what was it like going into that environment? You mentioned that you got the guys like Cullen and all these legends of the game. You're rocking up there as a 19, 20-year-old um, having to boss these guys around. It was nuts, mate. Like, um, in my last year of school, like, we were, like, in the boarding school. So I was a, I was a head prefect of one of the, one of the uh, sort of boarding schools. And every year at the start of school, you bring the young kids in, like, the third formers, and sort of just give them orientation, like, like, get them used to the place before the school starts and before the boarders come back in. I remember we were down sort of towards Oakra Beach and just for an afternoon and the, the kids were young kids were out on the beach playing and a few of us sitting in the van listening to New Zealand Sevens playing at Wellington. Yeah. I think Cully was playing, Lomu was playing, a few of these guys were all playing and we were just like, oh, I mean, and then at the end of that year, the next year, I'm walking to the changing room and, and there they all are, like just, just sitting there. I was just like, oh my God, this is yeah. nuts. Um, you know, you had uh, Jonah there with his big Skyline uh, car, <laughs> this massive sound system and I was just like turn up with my little uh, Ford Telstar like, like thinking what's going on but they were they were they were awesome um obviously Dave Holwell and and Spicy were there and 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 they sort of looked after us young guys and um you know it sort of showed us the ropes and help us you know, help help me personally learn so much yeah, because it looked like a pretty intimidating backline to be in control of and to be trying to boss around, but you you seemed to love it. Yeah, it was awesome. Like obviously, you know, I think it was a few weeks in, and and Tana came up to me and just said, "Look, mate, you're a ten. Just boss us around." Um, and sort of when you get the the okay from the legend, um, <laughs> then you know you sort of relax and you get a bit of confidence, and and then sort of went on from there. So. And that's obviously ten. You have to you have to be uh, bossing the boys around and, and be pretty vocal, and so that was pretty cool um, for a guy like that to give me a bit of advice and um, sort of cracked on and really enjoyed uh, playing with some of those guys. Mate, and absolutely killed it. And one story I do want to know about is a bus trip back from Waikato. Apparently, this is one of the greats. Oh, shit. So um, we always used to obviously fly to all the games and. It was pretty early on, 03. Uh, yeah. We were f- we played in w- uh, Waikato, uh, had a good win. And obviously, it's a, there's quite a few of us new guys um, then. So like myself, Pity Wepu, uh, Namir Tialata, all these guys were sort of first year. So obviously, you have, a, have an initiation, have a bit of a, a jug skull and go out, have an awesome night. And we ended up having an awesome night. Got absolute shit face. Um, <laughs> And then we were leaving pretty early in the morning, I think. It was like our flight was pretty early. And I just remember feeling, I'm a bit, like, I'm pretty ropey. Like, I'm but I was just hanging in there. So we got through the flight, sweet as, and we'd always park our cars down at the stadium and then get shuttles from the stadium down to, um, from the, the airport down to the stadium. And I don't know how I managed it, but I got myself into the shuttle with, it was, uh, 
in the front row, I think it was Spicy Me, um, Dave Holwell, Cully. I think Tana was in there. I even think John Plumtree and bloody um, Chris Boyd were in there, the coaches. <laughs> and, this, you know, the ride from airport to the stadium is, it's not that far. Yeah. And I just remember just like, you know when you start getting the sweats? <laughs> I was like, just like hanging in there. I remember, I think Spicy might have turned to me and goes, mate, you are right. And I was like, just, obviously I'm young as, I'm just like, yep, yep. And we got down, I think it was um, maybe Taranaki Street and then the corner of like Dixon Street, like pretty much, you know, like where Les Mills at like literally in the middle of town on an early Sunday morning. It must have been about 11 o'clock Sunday morning. And the lights went red. And I remember just going, nah, fuck, I'm dust. <laughs> Opening the door, just like going over top of, I think it might have been Cully, and just power chucking over on the fucking ground. And like all like the legends are in the group and just shut the door and just sat there like that. I was shitting myself. I thought I was going to get sacked because the coaches are in there. Everyone's in there. And I was just like, what have you just done? And it was uh, obviously Spice, uh, Jason Spice, pretty funny dude. He was cracking up. And mate, I just don't really know what happened uh, other than that because I just went into shutdown. Like, I was just head down, didn't say a thing. I was just like, I was so, so embarrassed. So embarrassed. You just blanked out, never spoke about it again. No, I was like, nah, that can't be happening. Like, it's my, one of my first games and like initiations. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, never again. Like, oh, that's so good. What a mad, young. mate. <laughs> and then your call up to the Hurricanes came not long after that. How did you find that whole experience? Yeah, that was awesome, mate. Eh? Um, obviously played two thousand three, two thousand four uh, for the for the Lions, and never started the game. Uh, just always came off the bench. Just which I reckon was awesome. Like I just learned so much by doing that. Yeah. Um, then got the call up to 05 uh, when Dave Holwell went off to... Oh, he went to Leinster, actually, I think. So Ricky Flutie was there. Um, he was going to be number one uh, for the Canes. I was obviously going to back him up. And then pre-season, Flutes got injured. Uh, can't remember what he'd done, but he was out for a bit. So Colin Cooper was like, look, you're starting first game playing the Reds. Um, and it was it was it was nuts, mate. And it was it was a real tough week for me as well because my granddad um, Bernie Fleming, which loads of the coastal people will know, passed away, yeah. okay. and he was just massive, big influence in, in sort of my life. And so I was a bit like, oh shit, you know, I've had this opportunity. Do I go home? And then it was pretty cool. My nana rang me up and said, "There's absolutely no way you're coming home. Like you're mm-hmm. playing." Um, and then from there, I just just it really just. Uh, I had a blinding start, to be honest. Like it was, yeah. uh, it was pretty surreal the way I started my my super career, and um, just never looked back and and held on to that jersey the the whole year. Were you confident going into that first game, or was it only after that game where you really grew your confidence? Um, I think I was I was confident. I was obviously I was a confident young kid, and to have the likes of Tana, uh, um, you know, around me and and his leadership, it just made it so much easier. Um, for me just to, to do my job and you know I had the back row you know you, you look at the back row you had Jerry Collins and Rodney Suiallo Chris Marceau guys like that <laughs> like I could offload anything around them so yeah. I didn't have to worry too much and 
I loved the fence. Like I'd always get stuck in and, and, and rip in and that sort of part. So they gave me the confidence just to go out and play my game. And, um, you know, I was hungry as a little shit and took uh, heaps, of, heaps of line breaks, scored heaps of tries and had a, had a hell of a year. <laughs> what made Tana's leadership so special? He just knew what to say and when to say it. And it was always what he said was just the right thing. Um, and he, he didn't speak like too much, but it was just times like he just knew the group of players around him. So there's, there's times during training when, you know, things weren't going right and just looks at the coaches and, and sort of says, look, stop banging, banging a drum here, like cut it or, you know, we need to do X, Y and Z. And um, he just led by example. And, and just sort of always gave, as I said before, gave everyone around him confidence to, to play their game because you knew that he was going to be on, on fire himself. Mm. Uh, so he, he was an outstanding leader. And I think him and, and Rodney Suyalo was um, also just an outstanding leader um, within that group. And they sort of combined really, really well together. And especially for us young guys, uh, it was two, two brilliant guys to, to follow. Legends of the game, eh? And then one thing that everyone in New Zealand knows you for is wearing the gloves. You've still got the reputation as a glove wearer here in New Zealand going from the questions. What made you decide to wear the gloves and where have they gone? Oh, mate, the gloves. Boys still over here ask me to bring them back. They want me to bring them back, mate. Um, I don't know. I think it just it was an in thing, wasn't it? It just started coming in. I think George Smith used them you know, over in Australia and then a few boys just started using them and it was like, obviously you play in the rain and, uh, you know, it just helped with a little bit of grip and so I thought, oh, you know, why not um, give them a crack and they sort of stayed around for a while and, uh, you know, and then I seen, you know, all the boys over here talk about, oh, I, I still play rugby 08 and you've got this goatee and these, you've got the gloves on and like, all these things and, and so it's pretty funny. Um, yeah, pretty funny way to uh, to be known by the glove man. So, <laughs> when did you decide to can but them? I don't think what? I can bring them back, mate. <laughs> why did you can them? I don't know, actually. I, honestly, I don't know why um, I can them. If maybe I was getting a bit too much shit for them, I'm, I'm not too sure. So, um, yeah, but they sort of. I don't know when I left them either. So it might have been around. So I don't. I might have only had them for a year or so. I definitely had them in 05, but 06, I don't think I had too much of them. So it might have just been a sort of a, the old one, <laughs> one hit wonder. Yeah. And you just got tired with this reputation of being the glove wearer your whole life. I know, mate. <laughs> Dull, isn't it? <laughs> and then one moment that stands out from your Hurricanes career was that fog final um, down there in Christchurch against the Crusaders. What do you remember about that one? Yeah, look, obviously we had a, a pretty awesome semi-final and you know, I was pretty lucky to come on and, and, and get the old match-winning penalty um, right. to get to the final. And then when we were down there, it was like, just before, like that whole week, man, we were feeling really, really confident. Like we really knew our game. We knew how we wanted to play. Even the warm-up, started the warm-up, awesome. Went back inside, came back out and we were like, what the <laughs> hell is going on here? Like you couldn't see shit. Yeah, and it just put a real dampener on the whole game, and you know, just from the start, like fans were leaving to try and watch it at home when it was worse on TV. Yeah. Um, you know, you had commentators running up and down the sideline, like commentating on the game. <laughs> it was carnage, mate. And 
Yeah, it's still a really tight game. Um, and obviously that one try from Casey Lalala sort of just broke it open. But yeah, we, we honestly really believe that was our time. But then obviously you give Crusaders a shot and, and they take it. So obviously it'll be, it's a final you'll never forget. Yeah. Uh, but to come so close as an opportunity to, to try and win it, um, yeah, it's pretty gutting. And how was it for a 10 playing in a game where you could hardly see? You obviously couldn't be, couldn't see the backfield or anything like that when you're kicking. The game control, the game management must have been tough. Mate, high balls were crazy. Um, <laughs> and there's even some, there's some clips I've seen of, of, of me uh, getting a few uh, shots at goal. And you can, you can barely see the post. Like it was just, it was just out of, like I've never experienced like anything ever. Yeah. Um, you had to really focus on what you were doing and, it sort of, it was two good teams going head to head, but it did ruin the game a bit because, you know, there was a lot of kicking because you were trying to test the other team because they couldn't, you know, just see if they can see the ball and try and get a mistake. And um, so I think if the fog wasn't there, I think I, I still believe it would have been one hell of a final, like a real, really, really good final. But yeah, in saying that, it was a different type of final, and the people that got to see a little bit probably uh, agree that it was a good game of footy. For sure. So then what brought about the move up to Auckland and the Blues and North Harbour? So you're playing well for the Canes, you'd got them to a final. and Why, why the move? Um, well, I just wanted something a little different because um, obviously I was striving to be an All Black, always was. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to, to be in amongst literally a whole backline of All Blacks and, and you not being there, it was, uh, it was quite tough. So I just took the opportunity to, to see what it was like um, in, a, in a different environment because I'd been in that environment for quite a while. And, um, you know, when you're with the, the Wellington and the Hurricanes, you are at the same place the whole time. Yeah. So I just thought, it's try and something different. Went up to North Harbour, really enjoyed myself. Like, we played some, played some good footy and, and managed to get in the blues. Uh, enjoyed that as well. Different environment, uh, different players. Um, and at sort of the end of that year, it's sort of an opportunity just came up to, to have a look overseas and, and then sort of went on from there. Mm. Had you had any feedback from the All Black coaches throughout any of this time? Uh, there was a little bit every now and then. Um, you know, there was times I met uh, a few of them and, and went into things like that. But, you know, there was, there was loads of us around that sort of time myself. Obviously, DC was still playing. Mertz was still playing when we were there, and um, you know Stevie, Donald, and Luke McAllister, Nick Evans was still there for a bit. So there was loads and loads of guys. Like we know, I think it was '05. We all had the All Black trial and sort of made the juniors off the back of that. And so it was. I sort of knew I was sort of in in and around it. But you know, it was just you never know until you hear your name and you still got to play well and. Um, you know, I, I know I had a few inconsistent games around sort of 06, 07, and that was just learning. And, you know, so it made me a better player in the long run. But um, unfortunately, um, you know, I looked to, to go overseas before I could uh, see what happens. Yeah, so that's a big question that everyone wants to know around you is why that move so young? So you're only, what, 25, which was pretty young those days to be moving overseas and um, heading over to the UK. So... What was the big deciding factor to head over there? Um, well, I just had, uh, my daughter was only like nine months, so had a young family, yeah. and, you know, it was sort of that sort of backlog, and the All Blacks was still pretty solid. Um, you know, you knew DC wasn't going anywhere for a long time. 
Uh, Stevie Donald was getting a little bit of a look in um, at that stage. Um, so I just thought, why, why not? Uh, why not have an opportunity to, to go over and experience a different side of the world? And, you know, if it's just go over for a couple of years and then come back and, and get that experience and then come back. And that was sort of, sort of the first plan. And But here I st- I'm still sitting here playing. So that didn't, uh, that didn't eventuate to come back to New Zealand. But yeah, it was an, an opportunity to, to go over and sort of just see the different side of the world and, and uh, explore. Did you think your style of footy would suit the UK style or was that just purely coincidence that that happened? Uh, I didn't really know, to be honest. Um, yeah. Obviously, I was lucky because I had uh, a couple mates over here at, well, in Newcastle playing. So obviously Carl Heyman was there, Tane Tupelotu, which I played with at Hurricanes and, and Lions was here. Yeah. Um, so I got to talk to them a lot and, and they sort of explained what it was like and when I was going there I was like well it's probably not my style but that's what I wanted I wanted the challenge and I wanted to see if I can broaden my game because you know I did have thoughts about coming back to New Zealand so I was like what's what you know I'll go and broaden my whole game and and hopefully I can come back a better player and a better person to to push and but got over there and found out pretty quickly I had to adapt my game. Uh, pretty smart. Mm, which you did, and you did it quicker than most. I mean, a lot of guys who go over there, sort of, it takes two or three years for them to sort of get used to the style over there and the complete different um, way they manage their game, especially as a 10. But, mate, you seem to make a seamless transition, and um, right from the get-go, you were kicking goals and winning games. I was very lucky I had Carl Heyman in the front row that was uh, just giving me all the penalties and I was just <laughs> kicking the points. That was, uh, that was how it was working. But um, yeah, it, it, was, it was very much uh, a sort of territory game. I had to really sort of um, learn. It was all about keeping, keeping the ball in front of your forwards and keeping the pressure on them. You know, there was time, I remember times there was like, uh, a scrum like probably 30 meters into our own half like you know just on the 40 like yeah. and I'd look over me and Tane would be like let's go and all the other boys are looking at us like what do you mean let's go like kick it in the corner <laughs> and we're like nah bro we're going like let's do this like so it, it was uh it was a bit of a learning curve because I was always a running I, I love running with the ball yeah um so there was a few occasions where I'd just take off and and, and and run but obviously the defences were not expecting that either, either so it sort of worked in my favour a little bit and obviously Tane was uh, always on my back he knew what was up um, but yeah we, you had to adapt your game pretty pretty quickly um, and fortunately the, the whole game's changed now over here which was pretty cool. Mm. And you were replacing Johnny Wilkinson is that right was there any extra pressure around that? Yeah it was it was pretty crazy because obviously everyone knew Johnny Wilkinson you know, World Cup, World Cup winner uh, with the famous drop goal and played for Newcastle for for you know years. So he was like the favourite son of Newcastle. So there was a little bit of pressure, um, and I remember my first game didn't go like well. I played alright, but I missed quite a few kicks. Um, we played away, and the weirdest one I probably missed because you know you, what it's like over here. You go for a shot at goal, and it's deathly <laughs> silent. Like no one speaks. And I remember my first few games, I'm like looking around going, what is going on? Like, make some noise, man. Like, you go to Waikato Stadium. I remember Possum in the cherry picker, fucking with his chainsaw, like, like with the cowbells. Like, that's what I was used to. 
Um, and now I was over there just deathly silent. So after that first game, it was a bit like, oh, he's never going to be able to replace him. But uh, fortunately, I got uh, used to it pretty quickly and made amends for those couple of early misses. Yeah, and ended up being the top point scorer, was it, that year? Yeah, I fortunately got that uh, well, a couple of years in a row. And yeah. as I say, it was on the back of... Uh, some pretty good work from uh, from Carl and the and the boys um, up front. To be honest, um, we were, we weren't scoring a hell of a lot of tries. We were just uh, kicking threes, kicking threes <laughs> front and centre. With um, you know, we we're sort of low low table uh, team. You know, I think yeah. the highest I ever my first year, I think we finished like eighth or something like that. Then it was always just battling for relegation, like finishing eleventh, mm. eleventh. So I had to take the points, to be honest. And how did you find the relegation battles? I know it's gone now, but and what was it like as a player having to fight for your life for a lot of your seasons? Mate, it's tough, eh? It's really tough. Like, you know, people are fighting for contracts. It's not just, mm. uh, you know, because obviously you drop down to the to the championship and it's, um, you know, some guys get let go. And I, I'll never forget one year we were playing um, Bath away and... Worcester were playing at their place so it was a battle between us and Worcester to see who stays up and our game for some re- or their game for some reason because everyone plays on the last day everyone plays three o'clock Saturday every game same time so yeah. everyone knows what's going on and we played Bath and our game had finished and everyone and we lost and I think we might have been like a if Worcester had won would go down by a point or something like that and everyone's like the Worcester game's not finished and we're like what do you mean it's like there's an injury or something delay and and the hammering on the line like they're picking going on the line to win the game and it was surreal mate like we were all in a huddle on the the wreck at at bar and there were guys crying there were guys that couldn't listen like the the coach was in there with um, the the phone like listening to to the commentary and boys were like have I got a job next year? Like, are we in the championship? Are we in the premiership? And all we remember is they, it was like, they're over, they're over. Oh no, wait, the ball's been stripped. And like, we just went, ah, like it was crazy, mate. We just went mental and, and managed to uh, managed to stay up by the, the skin of our teeth. But I, look, I don't wish that on any, obviously the, the fans love it. Like the drama's yeah. nuts, mate. But as a player, man, I don't wish that upon anybody. Like, it's pretty tough yeah. to take. Hundred percent. So you're glad that they've scrapped it. Uh, in a way, yeah. It's definitely opening the game up over here. Uh, a lot of teams are really playing, and people say, "Well, there's some teams that haven't got much to play for," but there's still a lot because obviously we've got European rugby as well. So you've got to finish. Mm. I think they changed it now, so you've got to finish on top eight um, to to make it through to Europe. So. That's a big sort of ploy as well to keep the teams uh, interested. But we are seeing some young kids come through. We're seeing a lot more tries, high-scoring games. So I think it's helping in the style of game for sure. But I think every fan just wants that drama. For sure, yeah. As a fan, I think the relegation is obviously awesome. But as a player, one who has experienced it as well, um, it's not a nice feeling having to go down <laughs> to the championship. Did You never played in the championship, did you? Or did you? Yeah, mate. 2000, yeah, uh, the, my last year of the Falcons before I went oh, to Leinster. That? Oh, true. Um, yeah, that was another, yeah, another crazy one. Oh, mate, it's uh, it's like playing club rugby. 
Yeah. Like you go to some dark places. Like we played, it was the year that Leeds, um, Leeds's pitch at Headingley was infested with some kind of, <laughs> I don't know, bug. So they couldn't play there. So we played at Otley. Now Otley, a lot of uh, older people will know, Otley is like famous, like the All Blacks played there in God knows how long ago. And I think they got beat um, on this field anyway, but we were playing at Otley and playing Leeds and the weather was all right. Like it wasn't too bad. We kicked off, literally score. Like we were winning every game by 50 and we kick off, score a try. It was like sweet. And then the heavens opened and no shit within 30 minutes, you couldn't tell who was who. And there was one stage when one of our guys tackled our own player he, around the ruck because he didn't know who was who. Like it was proper, like just old school rugby. And I think we ended up winning uh, like two points. It might have been like 10, 10, 9 or something. It was nuts. We were all having like photos and stuff after the game because we just thought it was hilarious. Like, but yeah, you go to some dark places. What game was harder, that one or the Fog final? Ah, that one for sure, mate. <laughs> you couldn't run. It was like playing on a potato, potato field, man. You couldn't run. You couldn't do anything. <laughs> so you got them, you got them uh, promoted again. And is this when you decided to fill in for another legend, Johnny Sexton, over at Leinster? Yeah, mate. It was, um, yeah, Joe Smith was, was obviously the coach of Leinster. And we caught up. The Olympics were on um, in London. And we caught up because... One of his family members was, I think he was the goalkeeper of the All Whites, and he, they were playing in Newcastle against Brazil. So we caught up, and he was like, "Look, you know, um, what are you doing?" And uh, next year, and all I said, "Well, look, I've got out clauses in my contract, but yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to, to to see what happens." And he was like, "Well, yeah, if, if I go anywhere or anything happens, I'll be keen to take you with me." And then get a phone call again. Johnny Sexton's leaving to Racing Metro. Uh, would you be interested to come over? And I was like, what, to the European champions? Yep, see ya, sign that, like gone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was like, you know, you don't, you don't turn, uh, turn that down. And then it was like three weeks later, he rang me and goes, yeah, um, I've, I'm not going to be your coach because I've just signed for Ireland. I'm going to be the Irish <laughs> head coach. But don't worry, don't worry, the new coach is coming in wants you anyway. So fortunately, it's, uh, Matt O'Connor came in and uh, he still wanted me. So I was a bit sketchy there for a while. But yeah, that was awesome, mate, over at Leinster. Uh, what an outfit. You know, the, the European, multiple, multiple European champions for a reason. Um, just a, a great environment to be involved with. And Dublin's one hell of a city. So what makes the environment so good? Um, just their professionalism, and they're all winners. Uh, they all striving to win, and, and they know how to win. And you know, it's sort of the the young stock coming through. It's probably it's literally probably the same as New Zealand. The young stock coming through is um, just really, really good. They come through some very big schools over there, and and just sort of it's like this conveyor belt, and they just go through and. It seems all the decent players went to Leinster and then sort of Leinster and Munster were the two big teams. And so, yeah, they just always knew how to win. And, uh, you know, my first year we won the Pro 14, which was pretty cool. And how did, how did all the cultures compare from the Hurricanes, Blues, Newcastle to Leinster? How are they all different? Like obviously, every culture is different, um, but the majority is everyone loves rugby. So that mm. will never change wherever you go. Obviously, New Zealand's really about family. 
um, and, and being tight together as a, as a brotherhood. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you do a lot together off the field. Uh, Newcastle was pretty tight. We had a group of foreigners, um, you know, loads of Kiwis, to be honest. Mm. And Newcastle was one of our funnest times. Like, you know, if my missus said, you know, we're going to live in Newcastle for the rest of our lives, she probably would because it was, it was awesome up there. Like, the rugby yeah. was average, but you had the sea there, so you still got to go through surfing. Awesome nightlife. The people up there are just, like, awesome, mate. They're real good mm. fun. So that we really enjoyed ourselves there. Leinster was a real... Uh, work hard, play hard place. Like hardly any any of them then when I was there had kids. Um, it was all like, nah, rugby, rugby's first. And then when you hit 30, that's when you decide, ah, I should start settling down. Like that was yeah. their sort of motto. So yeah. they were devoted to rugby and then devoted, yeah, had some pretty good parties and uh, <laughs> obviously the nightlife out there. So, but that was the changing of times. I think now it's a lot different over there. But yeah, that's why that probably they were so determined to, to win they were so dedicated and then was is pretty much similar to to everywhere um all mixed in one um you got young families and um and then sort of people sort of scattered all around the place because mm. obviously we it's a new sort of club uh you know used to be down in london now we're up sort of around uh, coventry and, and leamington spa around this sort of villages so people sort of scattered all around but still socialize pretty well together so um, you know, it's any rugby team, you walk into it, within two weeks you've got 50 mates. So um, yeah. it's pretty pretty special pretty special environments to be a part of a uh, professional rugby group. Mm, it's the coolest thing about the game, eh? So then why the move to the Wasp from Leinster, the powerhouse of European rugby? So pretty much I, I knew I only had two years because Johnny because Sexton Johnny. was only going for two years. And then, yeah, and then he was coming back. And look, they, they asked, they, they wanted me to stay, but I was like, there's, there's no point, like, I want to play. And then Wasp came to me, and I really liked the style that Wasp played, probably the closest you get to Super Rugby. Um, yeah. So that, that excited me um, to, to join Die Young and his team. And uh, so, yeah, sort of came over and, yeah, loved, loved it uh, from day one. And was that when you started to make more of a move into the midfield, playing more 12? Yeah, so my first year over here, uh, when did I come over? So 2015, uh, 16 season, played all at 10 here. It was a pretty good season, made a couple of semifinals in Europe and, and the Premiership. And then the next season, uh, Danny Cipriani side for Wasp. Yeah. I uh, used to be a Wasp. Um, you know, he was like the home, homecoming of uh, Danny Cipriani. And so I, I seen it as a challenge. I was like, yeah, sweet, like, let's go. Um, we'll try and... I'll try and rival him from the shirt. And then we had a couple injuries in the midfield. And then the coach was like, look, do you want to play 12 um, for the first game and just see how, see how that goes with two playmakers? Because, you know, mm. we really want to spin the ball wide and I think two playmakers can work. And uh, I was like, yeah, no, why not? Let's go. And um, we actually um, created a, a pretty awesome partnership and scored some pretty uh, outrageous tries and had a, had a brilliant season, which... Uh, you know, it was really, really enjoyable to be a part of and had one hell of a backline in that sort of time. And so it sort of just progressed by because of opportunities to, to play 12 and, and then sort of never look back, really. What was Danny Cipriani like to play outside? Because obviously my brother played with him at Gloucester and he rated him as the best ball player he ever played with. Um, he played with some legends at the Crusaders and the Chiefs as well, but he rates Danny Cipriani as the best out of them all. How was he for you? 
Yeah, mate, his decision-making on the ball at the line is second to none. Um, mm. he, he'll he put people in space. He'll create opportunities just by how he sort of reads the game and, and his sort of uh, passing techniques. So he is, you know, one of, if not the best ball players at the line in, in the mm. game, to be honest. Um, it's puzzling why, you know, it's probably different reasons why he hasn't had more international caps. Um, that we probably won't go into, but he, his ball play at the at the line is pretty phenomenal. But you kept the goal kicking duties, didn't you? And mate, something that you have been consistently good at is kicking your goals. Yeah, look, I've always loved it. Um, always loved goal kicking, and and sort of had a thing for it. And so right throughout my young years to to now, it's uh, been a big part of my career. And um, obviously now with uh, you know, the old Simpkin T is now the Jimmy G T, which is pretty mm. cool. So uh, there's a bit of history behind behind what I do. And I just, yeah, I just really enjoy that pressure. And you yeah, mentioned pressure. You've already mentioned it already that your clutch kick to win the semi-final for the Canes. But throughout your career, you've had so many uh, match-winning kicks that you've you've stood up and nailed. So have you, have you stayed so calm under that pressure? Yeah, I think that the key to, to be a successful goal kicker is um, just trusting your process and to be able to get into a zone and I use a lot of visualization like like now because you know the amount I've played I don't kick a hell of a lot during the week uh, I probably kick maybe twice twice a week and that would only be you know six seven six kicks or something a, a session True. Yeah. Uh, I do most of my training at, at night time and when I just before I go to bed I visualize uh, right down from putting the ball on the tee to my run up to what I do um, I visualize uh, the kick, do three or four kicks a night. And like, for example, if I was playing uh, London Irish this week, I, I know their stadium, so I've got it in my head. Um, and, and I sort of can, I can picture the, the kick, I can picture the stadium. And it just allows me to, when I get to a game, just to be already, put the ball on the tee, I look up and I can already see it going through. And mm-hmm. it just gives me the confidence just to relax and just do my thing and, I think that's really helped me throughout my career is um, that visualisation and just really uh, honing my skill and then just back in believing myself. Mm. When did you start your visualisation? Um, a, a bit later on in my career probably. I think it was more um, over here. Too cold to train. exactly when I started. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't like... Uh, it was something I just learnt through, um, I think, I might have read a golf book or something like yeah. they, they were talking about visualization and um, how they do it. And so I just sort of started trying it and it just sort of, I was like, yeah, this is, this is pretty good. Um, mm. And it just sort of took, you can actually do a lot of reps in your head than, than physically doing them on the pitch. And mm. so that sort of helped my, probably helped my body a, a, as well. Um, not banging away hundred kicks a week. And yeah. so yeah, I, I always like, you know, now I, I run sort of in a kicking academy, so I'm always working with younger kids, and that's one thing I tell them, you know, just, just start visualising, and it'll really help you. Yeah, and speaking of your kicking academy, what made you want to set this up? Uh, I just thought, like, talking to, to you know, parents and, and young kids, there's nothing, there's nothing like that over here. There's no, no one to teach them, you know, just the fundamentals of, of kicking so they can go out there and just enjoy themselves. It's not that they're going to be a professional kicker or whatever. It's just so they can get the skill and to be able to go out on a Saturday or Sunday whenever they play and just to be able to do 
the skill to their best ability and and to enjoy it um, was sort of the the leading factor. But yeah, I I really enjoy the seeing the kids like yeah within ten minutes you can change someone's perspective on on how they kick and they they got a big smile and and just enjoying it. So it's been pretty cool. Um, daylight savings have started here, so I'm pretty busy on trying to fit people in at, at night time. Luckily, we've got long days over here, so it's good. It's good fun. And the Jimmy GTs was that off the back of the Kicking Academy? No, nah, mate. So crazy story about that. So obviously, everyone knows the Simpkin tee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, Mertz used it. Tony Brown, all these, all these guys used it back in in New Zealand through the time. And George Simpkin uh, designed this tee. It was one of the first ever kicking tees in the world. Uh, he brought it out, and you know, I David Holwell used to use it. He modified it a bit, cut it, yeah. and made it a little bit taller. But I had to change when I went to Wellington, mate, because I used to kick off a normal cone, you know, like just the average cone. Yeah. And I went down to Wellington, and the thing used to just blow off like all <laughs> the time because it's so bloody windy. So I seen, yeah, I seen Mertz and Tony Brown and these guys using the tee. So. I was like, I'll I'll grab that, and uh, you know, I've used it ever since. And just before our first ever lockdown over here, I just got an email, uh, a message on Facebook from this guy called George Simpkin. I was looking at it going, George Simpkin, like surely that can't be the Simpkin. Just saying, look, um, I've followed your career. Uh, I'd love to have a chat with you. Here's my number. If you if you want to have a chat, come have a chat. I think it will benefit you. So I was quite intrigued. Like, mm. yeah, who who's this? George Simpkin wants to have a chat, so why not have a chat? So anyway, I give him a ring, and oh, what a guy. Um, some of his stories from rugby, he's been, yeah, he's done so much in the rugby community, and he, long story short, he said, look, I've only got a few months to live, um, and I've always watched your career. I love how you kick, and you're still using my tea. I would love to give you the rights to use, to reproduce my tea." under your name and I was like really I was like blown away like Mm. blown away by it and um so I was like right unreal like tried to get as much information had loads of conversations with him but unfortunately he he passed away pretty quickly and sort of until when I first met him and and then lockdown really took took uh, hold in the UK and it was really hard to like for me to try and get things going with the business and like trying to get the mold and you know the design and all that kind of stuff. So I never really got it out before, um, you know, he could see it, which was pretty disappointing. But it is it is here now. Well, there's a few on my table, so you can see the old Jimmy GT. Jeez, look at that! What a design. Yeah, but it's like the old Simpkin. So everyone knows the Simpkin tee. It's um, yeah. the old classic kicking tee. It's got the two levels. You can pop it up, and so I've always used this tee ever yeah. like you know my whole career um and for him to say you know oh, you can reproduce it under your name because he stopped re- stopped producing it in 2010 he said a truck was uh, in china moving it and they might have been moving factories or something and it like crashed and they lost all the molds so he was like oh bugger it i've uh, i've done this for so many years so i'm yeah. just not going to reproduce them and then here's me over here when I first came over 2009, 2010 season, stressing, going, I can't find any bloody new teas. So I had an old tip-top uh, tip ice cream container that had my teas in it. 
and like I just secured them in there, man. Like I was looking after them like gold, and it was even like I seen we we're playing in Newcastle, and the ball boy was sitting there on the he was on the sideline going like this, like bending it, like back and forth. And I turned mid mid game. I stopped what I was doing. I turned around. I felt bad for the kid. I was like, "Oi, you little shit! Like, stop doing that! Don't bend my tee!" Because I only had a few left. So I was like, "They were like precious." Um, so fortunately, now I've got. Um, you know, obviously I sell them now um, yeah. on JimmyGTees.com and. And I got, uh, well, I had about, I got a thousand of them in my garage. So I'm not short of uh, a kicking tee at the moment. <laughs> Wait, how good is that? What a story that is. And is that sort of your plan after footy to get more into the kicking coaching and um, selling the Jimmy GTs? Yeah, look, at something I'll, I'll, I'm looking at. I'm looking at designing a, a bit of a taller tee now at the moment. Yeah. Um, and sort of the same, similar lines, just because obviously guys like different heights. But it's something, yeah, like I enjoy. And I don't know if I come back to New Zealand, I don't know how many people are doing that kind of thing in New Zealand. You know, I'd, I'd love to, to sort of catch up with my old team and if I can walk around and, you know, my sort of dream job would be cruising around like Taranaki, Hawke's Bay, like going all the provinces, just helping with kicking and. Um, like exit plans and school work because you know obviously it's huge over here so I, mm. I feel I've learned a lot and um, if I can give back some sort of way like that then it's um, it, it's really good and enjoyable for me as well. What about professional coaching obviously you've been in the game for 19 years playing in a pivotal position uh, obviously understand the game really well in all sides of the world um, was professional coaching is that something you'd ever want to get into? Yeah, look, I've been I've been coaching uh, a local team down here for the last five years, uh, which is which is pretty cool. But I also do a lot sort of within the younger guys around the place, or sort of with Wasp and stuff. But I think it's a natural progression. It's kind of everyone tells me I should be should be doing it, uh, mm. but I think it's just a natural progression. And if it comes my way, then yeah, the opportunity comes. Then obviously I'll look into it. But you know, there's there's loads of sort of things and opportunities just you know if I move back to New Zealand then you've got to look into opportunities what opportunities do I have and you know I've been playing this game for you know 19 20 years now it's something that I want to give back and mm. I've got a lot of knowledge you know someone once told me uh, your knowledge is not for yourself it's to share and uh, you know I think of I've seen a lot of a lot of teams uh, play and been in a lot of environments and learnt a lot um, uh, hopefully I can give give back and if that's just going in and, and helping schools or, or, or clubs or you know whatever then you know I'm open to all op- options. Love that. So are you looking to uh, once once your career is over in the next five or ten years, are you looking to finish up here in um, New Zealand? Will you, is this where you think you'll live? Um, look obviously I became a British citizen. Yeah. Uh, this year, so um, which is pretty cool. But you know, now life's been here for the last thirteen years. But in saying that, I've missed all my family. I haven't been around my family for so long, and um, I think the Naki is just a, a, an exceptional place to bring kids up and and for just your environment you live in. And so I'll probably see ourselves moving back to the Naki 
um, at some stage. But and then again, you just don't know because you don't know what kind of opportunities come up um, after rugby and, and things like that. But it's definitely something we're looking into. How old are your kids now? Uh, so my daughter will be 14 in July and the young fella's uh, coming up nine. So she's sort of in that niggly age when... Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a not bad little rugby player, the little bugger. He's, uh, he's, he's got some speed. It's not from me, but he's doing all right. Yeah, but my daughter's in that age now. We sort of, if we're gonna move back to the Naki, it's probably gonna be you have to be soon because of yeah. her age, or we've got to stay here for a little bit longer. But right. yeah, things will work itself out. No doubt. Well, as always, we've gone to our Instagram for some questions. And man, lots and lots of questions have come in for the UK superstar, the Hurricane legend and all the rest. First thing was the most popular question. I already sort of touched on it, but all the Naki lads, all the locals wanted to know if you're ever going to play a game for the Coastal. Oh, mate, I'm def- I'll definitely play for the Coast, even if it's senior thirds or something. <laughs> I'll have to have a game. Um, but yeah, nah, there's, there's no doubt. I'll, uh, I'll have to, to come and put on the, put on the strip and, and run out for sure. Mate, it could be a backline of Bowden Barrett, Jimmy Gopperth, Geordie Barrett. Could have the whole crew out there. Oh, mate, let's make it happen, eh? That'd be yeah. funny. That'd be good. Be good, good crowd. Good crowd coming to watch. <laughs> Second most common question was about this hit from Jimmy Cowan. Any memories from this hit? I don't remember it personally, but you probably do. Uh, it's... Yeah, yeah, no, it's all over YouTube, that one. A few of the boys over here always tend to uh, find that one. Um, it, was, it was decent. What it made it worse was, like, for him was I was just going to kick. So, like, my, my plant foot of my uh, left foot was barely on the ground. So, obviously, yeah. I've got no support. And he smacks me, and then I just get, like, full whiplash. And I remember one of the boys... I got I stayed on. I got brought off a little bit after because one of the boys was like, "Mate, you're calling calls that I've never heard of ever." True, yeah. Like I was just rambling on about some bullshit. So, um, but that was just because I got a bit of whiplash. But he got me good, mate. It was it was a good hit for sure. Was it shoulder to the what? Shoulder to the head? Nah, it was more like it was a bit high, but it was more the whiplash. I think that done the. Because he hit me so hard, and then my sort of just head just banged straight off the back of the uh, on the floor, yeah. um, and that's probably what gave me gave gave me a bit of a bit of a daze. So were you knocked out? Uh, I don't don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was before the HIA systems obviously I, I came saw, in. <laughs> yeah, mate, it was way before then. So I I think like it was a it was a. A definitely a good sort of uh, a good days for sure. Like um, mm. you know, if I'm calling calls that have, the boys have never heard of, then obviously something went on. But it was more just the whiplash. It hit my head so hard on the back of the, on my back of my head. Um, I definitely uh, blacked out for a little bit. But True. yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? Is that something that scares you at all? Is uh, have you had many concussions throughout your career? Obviously. Um, your good mate at Newcastle, Carl Heyman's come out with um, some sad news about his dementia, but have you felt like you've got any issues with your head? You sound like you've got a good memory. Yeah, I, I have never really had one. Uh, never really had um, like a proper a knockout. Um, I got sort of 
the season's been a funny one. Like I, I got pre-season just training, uh, caught a knee to the head and just sort of got a bit staggery and, and sort of just went off on the sideline. I was like, look, I, I just need a rep. I need a minute. And I could just tell, I was like, oh, I'm just a bit dizzy here. Anyway, they, they, I tried to keep it quiet as, as some of us do, but um, they, they got me and had to do an HIA and I failed. And then it was probably about four weeks later, big Mike Williams, who plays for Bath, I was on the jackal and he just lined me up from miles out, man. And uh, next minute I woke up and I had oxygen mask on. Um, that was the first time I've ever been proper knocked out. And yeah, I just remember waking up, oxygen mask on, people all around me. And then just saying to the trainer, I was like, well, the physio, I was like, I've been knocked out, haven't I? And he was like, yep. And he was like, you were snoring. Uh, wow. So it was proper, like, like the old starfish, man, I was gone. Yeah. Um, wow. And then they brought the stretcher out and I was like, nah, like, <laughs> I'll, I'll, can I stand up? Like, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not going off in a stretcher. Stood up and just went straight back down. I was like, yeah, give me that stretcher. I'm wow. dust. And then wow. sat, sat for the rest of the game in the back of the ambulance uh, and was all right. And then sort of, you go through a protocol, so you got five day turnaround. So you do all the the protocol, the HIA protocol, and like I passed my first day and um, with all the words and the memory and stuff, but my balance was a little off. Mm. Um, so obviously you, you keep going through the stages, and there was a it was a, it was a pretty big game coming up, and like me being stubborn and not not wanting to miss a, a game ever, I was like, I sort of. In in my own words, I I probably just was a bit like wasn't as truthful as I should have been, in in sort of how I was feeling, because mm. I was at home and I was just I said to my missus I was like I, I feel like shit like, mm. um my head just feels a bit shit I can't really concentrate, but I kept passing all the tests, like they were doing with me, mm. like little go for a little run, uh, you cycle everything like building up they build you up nicely. But because yeah. I wasn't as honest as I should have been with uh, sort of how I was actually feeling, mm. like obviously they didn't know because I was passing all my tests. And it got to the last day where it was like, right, you pass your contact, you hit, you hit a few bags and grid into your contact and then you're good to go for the weekend. And fortunately, the coach said to me straight up to me, he goes, mate, even if you pass, I'm not going to pick you. Like that was a pretty bad knockout. I'm not going to pick you. So yeah. don't push if you don't want to. And as soon as he said that, I was like, yeah, I'm out. I'm, I'm, done. I'm not doing contact. Like, no way. Like, I'm not doing it. Like, I, I feel yeah. shit. And yeah. it wasn't until the next week when I actually started feeling good, I was like, shit, I was actually feeling pretty shit. Mm. Um, but it's just been an old school, you know, rugby player that thinks, uh, you know, I'll be all right, um, yeah. which was just stupid. Like, now... Nah, yeah, you know, I I always tell the young kids like, even a few guys have been KO'd this year. I was like, mate, just take it easy and be honest. Yeah. Uh, because you you've only got one head and you can't muck around with it. And but yeah, that was the first time I've been proper proper knocked out, and it's pretty scary. Mate, that sounds like a brutal knockout. How long did it take for you to start feeling good? Was it still only two weeks before you were back out there feeling good? Yeah, so I was fortunate, as in we had the 
I think we were playing Quinns the end of the week at home. Then we had a week off. Um, so I had a good two weeks, probably two and a half weeks to to sort of get myself set and ready to go. Um, so it was a good two and a half weeks. And it probably was only a, the last week when I started feeling, well, half a week really. Yeah. Um, so a good two weeks to, to make me sort of start feeling pretty good. Right. Crazy. Next question. Okay. Best player you've played with or against? Damn, man. You would have played with plenty. Yeah. I've been asked this question so many times and mm. you just can't, I can't have an answer. Like, yeah. It's just, I've been so fortunate to play with some of the best players in New Zealand. Obviously, you've got Tana, you've got Cully, you've got Ma, Conrad, and then Leinster, Brian O'Driscoll, etc., etc. So, you know, and then even at Wasps, you're playing with guys like Christian Wade and Willie LaRue, Kirtley Beale. Like, there's just too many, too many good players. I'm probably name dropping out my ass right now, but, um, you know, I've been very, very, <laughs> I've been very fortunate to be in some unbelievable teams and, and learnt so much off so many good players. Mm, mate, you have played with some legends, eh? Uh, to play against, again, you get to play against all those guys. Um, probably the, the guy that I hated playing against, probably Bucky's Boita. <laughs> I got cleaned out by him a couple of times. Him and Sculpt Burger, like yeah. honestly, like being a 10, they just come after you. <laughs> I've been hit a couple of times and you knew you'd been hit. Like they're, yeah. they're some big boys. <laughs> oh, I like that. Okay, next question is from Waterlad's major sponsor, Swish. If you could get a video shout out from any person in the world, who would it be and why? Uh... Oh, awesome. I think Kelly Slater, um, oh, yeah. obviously 11-time world champion surfer, um, 50 years old, still just absolutely killing it. Um, I've actually, some of his, I got, some of my mates are, are, are his good mates, um, one of the pro surfers I used to know, and he just, he's a pretty sound dude. And yeah. Um, yeah, I just think he's one of those, you know, what other professional athlete in the world is 11-time world champ? Um, yeah. There's not many. You know, even Tom Brady's not 11-time world champ. It's, uh, he, he's a pretty phenomenal athlete and still absolutely killing it in the surf at the moment, 50 years yeah. old. Crazy. Like that one. That goes on to the next question about surfing. How many surfboards have you owned? Have I owned? Uh, I think I've got about seven in the garage at the moment. Oh, um, <laughs> but I live, I live in the Midlands, mate, so I don't get to surf that often. Um, it's always just surf trips and and things. It's slowed up a little bit. Living in Newcastle, living in Ireland was phenomenal. Surfing all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, living in the Midlands, geographically the middle of England, as far as away as you can get to the ocean, it takes me two hours forty for the nearest uh, surf. True. Just visualization in the garage on your yeah. surfboards, is it? <laughs> That's the one, mate. I got a lot of <laughs> lot of cobwebs, a lot of dust. <laughs> okay, next one's also about surfing. Best waves in Taranaki or best waves in France? Where is it? Uh, Taranaki for variation. Um, and I've, I've been a couple of times in France. It's just a lot of beaches, like really, really good. But in the Naki, mate, you've got everything: beaches, mm. point breaks. There's a couple of secret slabs around the place. Uh, big waves, small waves, 
it's just a it's it's a dream for a surfer uh, to have mm. a coastline like that. Have you been to any awesome surf spots since you've been over there? Obviously, um, Europe's just on your doorstep and lots of cool places to travel to. Any favourites? Uh, Portugal's pretty fun. Um, yep. Had a, quite a few surf trips in Portugal. Uh, that was, you know, some awesome surf spots up there. Uh, one of the weirdest ones, mate, is like a place called Thurso. It's in Scotland. It is literally, when you look at Great Britain, it's as far as you can go north, like, I live when I lived in Newcastle. It's still a nine-hour drive from Newcastle. Oh, true. And you go up there, mate, and it's like literally probably the most inbred place you'll ever go. <laughs> it's so barren. There's nothing around, and just these amazing waves. So when I done a surf trip up there, and actually went up with Carl Heyman as well. So oh, yeah. we used to go up there for a bit, surf trips, and yeah, it's a pretty special place. True, that sounds cool. It must have been freezing, was it? Weirdly, it's cold outside, but um, like the North Sea down in Newcastle is way colder than up top because oh, you wow. get sort of the currents that push push over the top from uh, the, the different sort of seas. So it was it was cold, like it's still freezing, like um, you know. But Newcastle would be like four or five degrees, and up oh. there would be like nine, nine sort of <laughs> eight, nine. Still cold, slightly mate. less freezing. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, next one. Yeah. Tell us about your dive try over the ruck. Oh, that was against Tonga. I was nearly the most stupid person ever to do that because <laughs> against the Tongan boys, if one of them stood up, he would have cut me in half. Like I just remember the ball popped out of the ruck and was sort of five metres, like, right on the line, and it popped out um, and sort of... I can't. I can't remember who, who passed me the ball, but they started running across the pit, so I just sort of ducked under. They gave me the ball. I just cut back in and then just seen the ruck and thought, oh, why not have a go? And just jumped and dove over <laughs> the top, and luckily no one stood up and uh, managed to score. Because, yeah, as I said, if someone stood up, man, I would have got ended. <laughs> like if I've Nilly seen that Latu one gone got wrong me, a lot. Yeah. Especially if Nilly was there, Nilly hit can hit hard, and Nilly Latu probably—I think he was playing—he would have smoked me. Mate, he's another one who's still going too, eh? Oh, he's a legend, mate. Okay, next question: Why do they call you SpongeBob? Uh, it's the the old square shoulders, mate. So SpongeBob's just built <laughs> built built like that. Uh, oh, it happened a while back. I can't remember exactly who started it, but it. Soon as soon as I got to um, to Newcastle, the owner gave me a bloody SpongeBob um, little doll thing, so they all knew it was called, called called SpongeBob. But some of the Wellington boys just ended up calling me SpongeBob, and uh, it just stuck, really stuck. But just it's from gone now. Massive shoulders. But hopefully, it's not coming back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the one. Okay, next one. This will be an interesting one. Ask him about his battle with Luke McAllister on New Zealand schools tour. Most hookups. <laughs> uh, Lukey. Pe- I used to call him Peebs. He's like pretty boy. I always used to do his hair. And, uh, you know, I was, a, I, was a, I was from the coast, mate. I was a farm boy. I'd never even heard of like gel, like hair gel, mate. And, uh, so he was always like, this has the nice curly hair. And so I'd always just call him Peebs. And so, yeah, now there was, um, it was a pretty, pretty special uh, tour. Uh, he tried to like design, like 
tell me to use all the gel and uh that was pretty fun mate we we're um we've done a bit of damage around there and uh and really enjoyed ourselves <laughs> who won it oh mate of course he's gonna win it isn't he because i just like i'm a coastal lad mate as soon as we go into a bar i'll just go to a, i'll go to the bar and sit at the bar He'll be yeah. on the dance floor probably, and I'm just sitting there having a few scoonies. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Okay, next one. Who's one New Zealand player who you'd think would make a great transition into the UK game? Um, just if you just look at the Canes guys, I think Artie would, Artie Savia. I think yeah. people would get excited by how he goes. Like, we've got obviously Via Fafita in our team, and I just see like they're quite similar. In the, in the way they sort of um, play and um, their sort of athletic ability. And, you know, when, when Vi gets uh, in, in open spaces, defence just don't know how to deal with him because he's running around with the ball in one hand and he's <laughs> yeah. quick. So I think Artie would be, he, he'd sort of excel up here um, and defences would, wouldn't know how to deal with him really. I think yeah. he would do really well. Mate, I think he could play well anywhere. To be fair, isn't he? He's that good. Yeah, true. But you do, true that. you do have an awesome, um, you do have an awesome Canes contingent there at Wasp too, don't you? You've got Shields, Evia, Jeff Tumanga, Allen. You've got all the boys there. How have they all been going? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, it's it's really nice to have um, some guys from from the same club used to play at. Even though these boys used to go and watch me sitting in the stand and watch me <laughs> yeah. play when they were young kids, <laughs> they always give me shit about that. But um, yeah, it, it's good just just to share some stories and uh, obviously have close to home, you know, sort of comforts there as well. It's pretty cool, and you know, we we always get together and have a few beers and uh, and really enjoy ourselves. It was pretty good. No doubt, Shields is leading you astray. Always, mate. He's a bad man. <laughs> he loves his beer. He he loves his socials. He he's got a company over here as well. So it's uh, social. They call it uh, him and Josh Bassett. So they're doing like vodka and. Um, and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, little sort of RTD drinks. They're doing really well. So um, he's always having a few of them after the games, which is pretty cool. Mate, that's awesome. Okay, last question. Best piece of advice you've received in your 19-year footy career? Oh, it's that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, obviously, when I said earlier on about Watana just telling me, you know, it doesn't care who you are, just get in and boss us. But, you know, it's when someone said just enjoy every moment you've got because you never know when this game can finish mm. and so you've got to respect it and cherish it because one day drop of a hat you, you've lost it so um, I think that's been the sort of most important thing I take every day is just just enjoy every single moment you've got because you're very privileged uh, to be in this situation. Mate love that what a way to finish I knew 19 years would come into one unreal piece of advice. Love that. Ah, cheers, mate. <laughs> but, mate, really appreciate you been coming on the podcast, like I said at the start. Massive fan of yours when you when I was growing up, uh, leading that Cane side around, and then um, to see you still go on and do what you've done over in the UK and um, still playing at the level you are and plenty more years left to go, mate, it's been pretty inspirational to watch and um, been awesome having you on and sharing sharing your journey. Uh, cheers for having me on, mate. It's always good to have a yarn and uh, it's good to see what you're doing here with Waddle Lad. So uh, big ups to you and no doubt we'll uh, catch up when we're home, have a, have a beer or two. No doubt. You're a lad. Appreciate it, mate.